You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. You're listening to episode 362 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Gemma Isroth is currently writing a book about managed garbage collection with a focus on Ruby. She is passionate about making the tech industry a more inclusive space through teaching, mentoring, and community building. An avid Ruby blogger, she also writes the tip of the week for Ruby Weekly. Gemma has worked extensively as a backend and infrastructure software engineer, optimizing memory usage and performance in Ruby and Rails applications. Welcome to the show, Gemma. Thanks so much for having me, Brittany. It is my pleasure. So, Gemma, what is your developer origin story? So, all through school, I I always loved math and science. It was something, it, they were two subjects I was good at and I enjoyed. And I was super fortunate that I had teachers who encouraged and nurtured that love. Um, so, they would, I can remember as early as third grade, give me sort of practice problems to do while class was going on with a couple of friends in the back of the class. And so really always, yeah, just enjoyed math and science. And then when I got to high school, I was lucky again, my high school offered elective computer science courses and my older brother had taken them before me and he didn't quite love them, but he thought I might. So I ended up taking them too and really just fell for computer science. Uh, It was never an obsessive thing, I w- wouldn't say, but I knew I wanted to do it professionally from, from pretty early on into learning. So I studied computer science in college, actually also largely informed by the experience I had had in school, studied education too, um, the experience I had had with teachers and how that had shaped my passions, um, and did a few software developer internships through college. And then when I left When I graduated, I started work at an educational technology startup as a full-time software developer. Did that for about three and a half years and then was at the Recurse Center in the fall. And I'm now, yeah, working on this book, like you said. So what led you to the Ruby community? Because I imagine you had so many different paths you could have taken. Yeah, that first job I mentioned was my first exposure to Ruby. I hadn't programmed in it at all until then. Uh, they run a Ruby and Rails stack. So, so that was really my first introduction. And I, I didn't engage with the broader community. I loved Ruby and I loved working on it at work, but I wasn't really aware at all of the broader community while I was there. It wasn't until my time at the Recurse Center when I started interacting with larger programming communities generally that I learned of the Ruby community, started writing and started meeting folks like you who were super welcoming to me and and um, introducing me into the community and pulling me in. Well, we are super thrilled you're here, but I want to ask you about your time at the Recurse Center. I've heard about it and I've always been intrigued by it. Would you mind telling the listeners about your time there? Oh yeah, it's a great place. I'm, I'm super happy to talk about it. Um, so for folks who don't know, the Recurse Center is a place that programmers go to get better at programming. It, I think it's most easily thought of as kind of similar to an artist retreat or a writer's retreat, but for programming, it's not structured at all. You can do whatever you want with your time there, but you do have this wonderful thing, which is all these other people there also looking to get better at programming. 
So people start study groups, they'll work on projects. I did a lot of pair programming. I watched a lot of technical talks and then would discuss them with folks. I worked on a host of different projects that I'm, I'm sure we'll discuss. Um, in some ways, some larger, some smaller. And I really just was floored by all the other people there, also so encouraging and engaged and willing to, to get better. At what point in your career does it make sense to look into the Recurve Center? Is it almost like a sabbatical time or should it be earlier in your software career? There are actually people there from all different points of their career, which I think is something that makes it so wonderful. It's this theme that everyone has things to learn and to teach. So there are some folks there who have been there for three months or six months. And there are some folks uh, in my batch, there was a professor who had been programming for and teaching programming for 40 some odd years and was on a sabbatical. And so it really ranges the gamut. And, and that's really what makes it so great is some people will give lectures and be the subject matter expert on what they're talking about. Um, and there will be folks everywhere on the scale of learning about it, um, ingesting that information. That sounds great. I'm going to definitely have to look into it. And we'll, of course, we'll add a, a couple links into the show notes. So there is a skill around writing Ruby, of course, but writing a book is a whole other skill set. So I want to get into that. So how did the opportunity arise to write a book about Ruby garbage collection? Yeah, I'm so excited to talk about this. Um, a lot of what inspired this came out actually of RC, also the Recur Center. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I really loved math and science all through school. I hated writing. I think even as early as six months ago, if you had told me I was write, I would be writing a book, I would have kind of laughed in response. Um, but I started blogging at the Recur Center. This was one way I had heard of to try and cement my learning. So as I would learn about something, I would write about it and it would make me think critically about the parts I didn't know, research it a little more. And I, I was really enjoying that as a way to learn and again, teach. Um, I also, as you mentioned, had worked in Ruby performance quite extensively, but realized I didn't know that much about garbage collection. And so wanted to take some time to learn more deeply about it and found quite a few really interesting talks and blog posts, but nothing that gave the whole arc of Ruby garbage collection from beginning to end what was happening. And then the third thing was I was working through a book by Thorsten Ball called Writing an Interpreter in Go, which teaches about interpreters experientially. So you learn about an interpreter while, as the, as the title implies, writing one. Um, and so those three things, the blogging, GC Perf, and working through that workbook all kind of led to the, the idea to write my own book, to be able to continue technical writing, to actually learn and then teach more in depth about GC, and to do it in a workbook style way where hopefully folks reading the book can learn experientially too by creating their own little mini toy garbage collector through reading the book. That sounds amazing. So who is your intended audience for the book? So I'm hoping more than just my family and friends. Um, <laughs> I think really anyone listening to this podcast should be in the intended audience for the book. Um, it's definitely not people looking for a quick fix to GC. It's not going to be a Stack Overflow type 
here's my GC problem, here's the answer. My goal in writing it is that any reader will have a much broader view of GC and understand it fully and wholly. Um, and yeah, so anyone who really enjoys Ruby or the language or programming generally, uh, I'm hoping will find it interesting. I could see it being a great way to level yourself up, especially as you're looking to perhaps get a new job. I think looking at two candidates who seem fairly equal in skills, but one of them has a really good understanding of GC would be quite impressive. Yeah, that's, that's something I hadn't thought of. I think that's a really great point. So at a very base level, so let's say this is the book flap, and for listeners who are unfamiliar with how garbage collection works, would you mind giving an overview? Yeah, I like the book flap because I, <laughs> I feel like there's enough in there to, to hopefully fill a whole book. Um, so Ruby's garbage collection is managed, which means that the language does it, takes care of it for you, as opposed to a language like C, where you have to manage your own garbage collection. And there's a bunch of nuance to how Ruby manages your GC, but at a really high level, it looks at all the objects it knows about. So um, things like objects on the stack that you're gonna have to f execute instructions against. And it traces those and all of their references until it's looked at every object it knows about. And then whatever's left over, it says, hey, I don't know this exists. I can just reclaim this space. Um, and it'll shrink and grow your memory accordingly based on looking, looking through there. That makes sense. So I think a lot of de developers might have the attitude of Ruby and Ruby on Rails and Hanami and all of these other frameworks, like they take care of garbage collection for me. This is not something I really need to be aware of. Why does understanding how garbage collection work actually quite exciting for developers who use Ruby every day? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question and point that um, the there are so many frameworks that so carefully do work so that we don't have to think about our memory all of the time. But there are still cases where our memory will grow kind of unbounded or will uh, see really slow performance where it can be very important to know what our garbage collector is doing. I think we're sometimes as programmers so divorced from the fact that the code we write is is in a language which itself is just a computer program and has its flaws and beauties and nuances and is really well thought out. Um, and so I think actually understanding this can, can lead you to better manage your own memory. Um, and also there are new features that Ruby rolls out um, in each version to do with garbage collection that'll sometimes be optional or you'll have to turn them on. So like, for example, Ruby 3 came out with auto compaction, but you have to enable it and it's recommended you only do so in your tests, but even to do that, you, you need to know what's going on. Uh, so knowing more about garbage collection can help your own performance um, and can help you be able to best utilize new features as they're coming out. That makes sense. So as you're writing your book and getting ready to publish it, are there key members in the community that you'll have review it? Like what's the editing process look like? Yeah, my goal is to find, to continue to find folks who will be willing to look at chapters. Quite a few people who have reached out to me in response to my blogging and writing so far have offered to do that, which I'm really grateful for. And then also people I've paired with at Recurse or um, worked with at my former job 
have offered to do the same. And so I'm hoping to keep kind of sending chapters or segments to them. I've also been trying something interesting, or I think it's interesting, which is writing out this GC deep dive series of blog posts. So way less specific than what the book will go into, but giving a bit of an overview, engaging how people are re responding and giving me feedback to that and letting that inform the book. This episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Scout APM. Scout APM is application performance monitoring designed to help Rails developers quickly find and fix performance issues without having to deal with the headache or overhead of enterprise platform feature bloat. With the developer-centric UI and tracing logic that ties bottlenecks to source code, Scout helps you quickly pinpoint and resolve performance concerns, like N plus one queries, slow database queries, and memory bloat so you can spend less time debugging and more time building a great product. And with Scout's real-time alerting and weekly digest emails, you can rest easier knowing that Scout's on watch to help you resolve performance issues before your customers ever see them. Give Scout a try today with a free 14-day trial and experience firsthand why Rails developers worldwide call Scout their best friend. And as an added bonus for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash Ruby on Rails. Thank you to Scout APM for supporting the show. Yeah, I can vouch that the GC series is fantastic. I've been reading along with it, and I agree with you. They're definitely bite-sized pieces. They're very technical, but they're short enough that you can really spend a fair amount of time thinking about it. And I'm interested, you know, has the community reacted to any of the pieces differently than you expected? Has it caused you to uh, take any different directions on the book as you've read it, written out this series? Yeah, I was actually, so there are right now three posts out in the series and the second one went over the tricolor mark and sweep algorithm, which is the algorithm Ruby's GC uses. And I was most surprised that that post seemed to um, make rounds outside of just the Ruby community. That was something I wasn't anticipating. And I'm still thinking through its implications for the book. If folks who aren't used to Ruby or haven't programmed in Ruby before are, are really interested in this, uh, whether it'll make sense to try to have a few chapters at the end or something like that, talking about what other languages do differently. That, that would be, I would say, my biggest surprise so far. That makes me so excited because we constantly say within the Ruby community, the only way that we can encourage other communities to know that Ruby is alive and well and that we're doing cool things <laughs> is to put content out there that they'll actually read. So the fact that your post is circulating outside of the community, you're doing a huge service for the Ruby community, and I want to thank you for that. Oh, that means the world to hear. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be contributing in any way I can and I was as astounded as you that that other people that anyone was reading it, but that people outside of the Ruby community also were finding it interesting. Well, speaking of collaboration, um, I'd love to talk to you about why code reviews and pair programming as feedback is so important, because I know you're very passionate about this topic. Super passionate about this. I think this is something that has changed the most as I went from being a new developer to a little having a little more experience. Uh, when I first started writing code and, and working full-time as a software developer, I thought of code review as almost the final hurdle, right? Like the final step before your code that you've been working on can get in uh, 
to Maine or, or production or anything like that. Um, and I thought of them almost as an exam, like some other developer who was better than me was standing in judgment of me. And if they just said, looks good, that was like, I did a great job. And if there were any comments or lots of comments, I could have done better. And I think my, my thought process on that has almost 180 as I've become a little more experienced. And I see that more senior engineers also view it the way I now do, which is really just as the first step or the beginning to writing thoughtful code in that if someone is leaving a bunch of comments on your code, they're really pushing you to get better and to learn and to be the best you can and to make the code the best that it can be. And those back and forths are, are when I think about where I've grown the most technically, it's in long code review cycles. Um, and I would encourage folks to, to try adopt more of this attitude. I think it's been tremendously helpful to my growth. And then pair programming to me is just this process, but on an infinite loop almost. Like as you're writing code, you're getting all this thoughtful feedback. Um, and another place where I think there's, there's a huge space to, to get better as a programmer if you do it thoughtfully. Yeah, I completely agree with both of these. First of all, with code reviews, uh, the job before this one, I was at for five years. I was the sole Ruby developer. And so often, you know, I would get a light code review and we used linters. But for the most part, my pull requests got merged and with very little fanfare. And now that I'm working at a job with several backend engineers who are reviewing my code, it was it was a little painful at first, you know, to get that feedback and to be criticized on how I approach my style of writing Ruby. But overall, it is in the last six months, I've become a much better developer. And so it's being open to that feedback, implementing that feedback and learning from it, which is so important. And everybody just wants you to write clear, concise code because there's the understanding that the team has to maintain it. And so it, it's important that the code that you write is thoughtful and easy to read. I totally agree with you there. It's to the point where for now, to me, it's almost frustrating to just get that immediate approval. Um, it feels like a missed opportunity to learn or grow or like someone down the road, to your point, who's maintaining it might not be able to fully understand or something like that. We have a learning section in our pull requests and sometimes it just seems ridiculous. You know, I might have one pull request open and I feel like I have five or six learning articles, but that's kind of how being a software developer is. And I imagine mm. as someone who's writing a book, you must be sourcing from so many different places. I imagine your resource uh, page in your book is going to be quite lengthy. Completely. Definitely the research page will be long. And also, I, to your point, really have to depend on others to give me feedback and things like that, because the hope is that so many different people will read and hopefully make sense of, of the book. So we mentioned this at the top of the show, but we talked about how you've been providing the tip of the week for Ruby Weekly, which I absolutely love. And I always open console and kind of mess around with the tips that you're providing. So I'd love to know how that opportunity came up. Right, thanks. I'm, I'm glad you love them. Um, I got really lucky here is is the answer I sent. So Peter Cooper runs Cooper Press, which puts out Ruby Weekly and a few other weekly publications. I sent Peter an email, a total cold email, after I had written a blog post about IRB's measure 
command, which came out in Ruby 3. I read about it and hadn't found a bunch of, or any kind of in-depth resource about it. So I wrote one, sent it off to him. I, my like best hope would have been that he was like, yeah, I would include, I'll include that in Ruby Weekly, okay. And he did that, but then kind of exceeded even my best hopes. Um, he also asked if I would be interested in writing a tip of the week. At the time, he said he had been running it for Postgres Weekly for a while and wanted to put it into Ruby Weekly too. Uh, so he and I worked together to source a few ideas. And yeah, I've just been writing them since. They're really fun to write and again, a, a cool way to interact with the community and give back um, and share knowledge. Well, I personally find it to be a big deal because if you ask a lot of Ruby developers where they learn about new things and what's happening in the community, the first thing they will mention is Ruby Weekly. So it, it is truly a big deal. Yeah, thanks so much. That Yeah, I, I hope it's helpful. It is for sure. So I wanted to touch upon one last thing before we wrapped up. You recently tweeted looking for the women and non-binary Ruby community members, and I'm curious what the reaction was to that tweet. Yeah, so I the the additional context here is I have been going to a bunch of meetups as I've been trying to um, learn about the community more. The meetups with the pandemic mostly have become remote. And so you can go to one in, I don't know, Berlin one day and Portland, Oregon the next. Um, and I found that I think all of the speakers I've seen so far in the past month or so of going to random ones of these have been men. Um, and a lot of people turn off video for these. And so it's hard to see if there are women non-binary folks in the audience too. Uh, and it's a little disheartening. I found it a little disheartening. And so I tweeted kind of that and looking for folks to follow in the in the Ruby community who identified as women non-binary. Um, and the response was great. There's a, there's a really fun thread where people are just uh, tagging all sorts of great folks. I went kind of deep into reading about many different people's work. Um, and out of that, I met Emily Giorleo, who you've had on the podcast before too. And she and I are decided to co-organize a Ruby women non-binary monthly meetup where we'll have two speakers at each meetup, both of whom identify as women or non-binary. They'll give about 20 minute talks and we'll hope to grow the community through that and continue to contribute through the community. We're really excited for the first one. It's going to be on March 30th at noon Eastern time. Um, Emily is actually going to give a talk about what to do when a gem upgrade breaks your application. And then we're super excited. You're going to be our, our second speaker for that first one. I am slightly terrified, but I am excited to be speaking at that meetup. I'm going to be talking about how one of our OKRs at Texas is engineering KPIs. And so I'm going to be talking about scripting in that data so that way we can get into our data pipeline using AWS Lambda. So I'm excited about that. And I, I'm really honored that you would ask me. Yeah, we're, we're so looking forward to hearing from you. What do you plan on? So you've been traveling across different meetups. Is there certain um, tactics that you've seen in terms of engaging audience members, you know, after the talks? Do you have any best uh, practices that you plan on bringing to this meetup? 
Yeah, so I've been also asking a bunch of the organizers their thoughts and how they go about doing it. Something I've seen that works really successfully is putting folks into just small four or five person breakout rooms after the talks have happened to try and develop a bit of a community. And so we're going to keep the the talks and the meetup itself um, open to anyone who identifies as women non-binary and then post the recordings of the talks afterwards for everyone in the community to to watch. And so we're hoping in those breakout groups, um, folks can get to know one another and, and begin to really just engage with other women non-binary in the Ruby community. This episode is sponsored by Mint Mobile. After the year we've all been through, saving money should be at the top of everyone's resolution list. So if you're still paying insane amounts of money every month for wireless, why not switch? Switching to Mint Mobile is the easiest way to save this year. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you maximize your savings with plans starting at just $15 a month. I've recently started using Mint Mobile myself, and I can vouch that the service coverage is far better than my old carrier. Plus, I was able to continue using my beloved iPhone while saving money. By going online only and eliminating the traditional costs of retail, Mint Mobile passes significant savings on to you. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their 7-day money-back guarantee. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com ruby. That's mintmobile.com ruby. Cut your unlimited wireless bill to 30 bucks a month with mintmobile.com slash ruby. While that sounds fantastic, you just upped the ante for me. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great plan. And I can personally tell you, I have three people who are eager for the sign up link once it's ready. When it is ready, if the episode comes out ahead of time, I will go back and add that link in there. So that way, as many people can be included as possible. I think you're yeah, going to have a big turnout. So yeah, I we really hope so. We've been looking at the different Zoom Pro levels and we're really unsure which one to get, like how, how many people to expect. Um, but yeah, I, I hope a lot of people turn up. I think Zoom skills have now become a required skill set. in <laughs> So I'm sure you will be a pro by the, by the time March 30th rolls around. So I always like to wrap up the show by asking you for your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities. So you've had many people on the podcast who have answered this question much more intelligently and eloquently than I can. And I was thinking about what I could possibly add to that. And the only thing I have to add is a real hope that we continue to push the diversity of the Ruby community and, and include more folks in the Ruby community. I love the first question you asked about developer origin story, because I think it's a great reminder that we all at one point were new to programming and we all at one point were new to Ruby and Ruby and Rails communities. And I think the community grows out of that fact and becomes stronger out of that fact. I'm hoping the women non-binary meetup will be one step to continuing to, to increase our diversity and increase our inclusion. I'm hoping we can keep reflecting on this um, from a racial lens to uh, where we can do 
do better as a community in including more folks. I totally agree. So aside from Ruby Weekly, how can listeners follow you? Yeah, so I'm newly on Twitter at Gemma Isroff. It's a bit of a complicated last first and last name, a lot of double letters in there. Uh, J-E-M-M-A-I-S-S-R-O-F-F. And then I'm blogging at Gemma.dev, J-E-M-M-A dot dev. Uh, there are blog posts about Ruby, about other random side projects, and then like we talked about the GC Deep Dive, I'll post about the book in both of those places. And also when we get more details available for the meetup, um, I'll be posting on Twitter there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. You certainly have an open invitation once your book is published. I'd love to have you back on the show. Maybe we'll even have some sort of book club. It would be uh, really fantastic. (laughs) Thank you so much. And I will see you on March 30th. Yeah, thanks so much for having me and really looking forward to hearing your talk then. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review and thank you for listening.